0: I'm Dawn Ennis. Yay! I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and you're in the Transporter Room. Carly, we're at episode 67 now, and it's the first one in the Biden administration one week ago. Today, he took the oath we showed to our listeners and to those of us who watching on Facebook Live as Joe Biden became the 46th president of the United States, what a great day that was.
1: And, I, and I've got to give credit to, got to give credit to the new president. He's hitting the ground running. I, I really like the way that, that they, you know, funny, for a guy named, they called Sleepy Joe, he's rather woke. I, mean, I but- like Sleepy Joe. I want boring. I love boring. It's so much wonderful news that we don't have news. <laughs>
0: but well, he has made news. Let's face it. We've got an LGBT directive that said that children should not have to worry about going to a locker room or to a bathroom to be discriminated against. We've got a, a, a just yesterday about racial inequity in housing, in hiring, in health, in elections, he's also signed an end to the ban on transgender
1: military this is really great so far so good now i just hope that the legislative agenda um continues to reflect the for movement we have like don like you wrote a few days ago i mean the executive orders are a nice start but you want to see more and so do i and I'm hoping that w- with a new Congress, I'm hoping with the moves that have been made so far, we see more. But I like – but you can't fault the start. It's not a bad start. Not, not a bad all.
0: start. But, but I will I will say I am worried about the Congress. You know, this whole filibuster move, um, it's probably not going to happen. They don't have 50 senators in the Democrats who will uh, j- sign on. Joe Manchin and Cinema uh, are probably going to – they said they won't support it. So that's probably dead in the water. And then on top of that, you still got Mitch McConnell in the in the Senate. Even if he's not the majority leader, he's still going to cause trouble. There's still going to be so much trouble. You've got members of the House packing heat. You've got members of the House who are calling for insurrection during the insurrection and calling for Pelosi's head and, and giving tours. And there's just so much crap going on in the House. So I really... I wrote that essay in the Daily Beast because I needed people to understand, yes, it's really nice to have these these nice things, but it's not enough. Not until we have parity, not until we have equality, not until the world is a place where not I until can we be have who equity. I am. equity. And same for race and same for other one of the things he did today talked about Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, how they've been basically um, you know, demonized since the pandemic. And here's a guy and the vice president too, Kamala Harris, who even before they took this the oath of office, they finally led the nation in a memorial to the 400, now 400,000 plus dead. We needed that, we still do, we still need to remember how many lives have been lost in this terrible pandemic.
1: Agreed, and here's what I find interesting. We're in the middle of this pandemic where you have 400,000 Americans dead. You have a vaccine, but you have people dragging their foot trying to get people the vaccine. What are, shall we say, the opposition hung up on? They're still hung up on transgender kids in school just wanting to represent their school on their ball team. They're hung up on that. (laughs) Just
0: yesterday, there were two victories. Want to tell the folks that may not have seen it, because this is important.
1: Montana and South Dakota. Yes, they I mean in Montana overturning that that horrific HB113 in Montana that would essentially criminalize healthcare professionals for giving affirming t- care to trans youth. I I find that bill just repugnant. Granted, did not win on HB112, which basically bans transgender student athletes from playing competitive sport in their school that's
0: moving forward yeah
1: yes that unfortunately is going to move into the senate appropriations committee for further for for further review and then if it passes the senate appropriations committee which it most likely will it's going to go into the floor of the montana senate but one thing i will say the folks in montana are fighting this tooth and nail there is a massive groundswell of support against these bills And it was that massive groundswell that led to the led to at least HB 113 dying, which is which makes me very happy. And also what you saw in South Dakota, where their bill died in commit where that where that bill in South Dakota died in committee. It's something Chase Strangio said, even in the most reactionary conservative places, when people organize and people fight, we win. Mm-hmm. Still in we Ohio, still have North Dakota actually-
0: to come, though, and Tennessee and other states—they're all lining up to try and copy Idaho, which is yeah. still on hold. But I wonder—you know, this is something I discussed with a, a reporter from KTRK uh, in Houston. Where will the rubber hit the road? Will it be that the Biden administration is able to say our executive order overrules this, or will the states, because states have rights, will they be able to say it doesn't matter what the federal government says? We have jurisdiction.
1: We were here in Idaho. From a legal standpoint, the courts have ruled on this upright and down the center. And the attitude is, if they want to take their chances and fight the federal government in court, fine. But the precedent is already there. Don, you and I both know what this is. This is a certain LGBTQ hate group trying to wield what little political power they have left. Because, again, they're losing. They've lost on so mm -hmm. many things.
0: And without Betty DeVos and without the Trump administration and uh, and Bill Barr, without them supporting them, propping them up, what do they have left? They have their their legions of uh, right wing fundamental Christians who think that, um, you know, it's OK to discriminate. They want a license to discriminate. Oh, it, it it takes away some of the glow that I've been experiencing. But I I have to be honest, not having the tweets, not having the daily nonsense. It has been a bit of a relief. It's been a whole week, whole week that we've had leadership, unlike we've seen the last four years coming from Washington. Let's hope it keeps
1: up. Well, Don, you know how I feel about it. The way it's going to keep up is when people like you and people like me keep hitting the streets and keep putting the pressure on. We keep writing. We keep organizing. What I tell people all the time is A-B-O, always be organizing because we we've we've seen these people before we've beaten these people before we know what their playbook is and you know what one part of that playbook is don right they never talk about transgender boys and transgender men in this because Mm -hmm. they don't sell the agenda but they're definitely a part of this issue and mo and recently an excellent writer on these issues wrote an article I read on that this very issue, <laughs> and it was an excellent article because, to me, Don, one of the things I've said is, it's not just enough to talk. I'm sick of talking about the debate. I want to. People need to understand that there are people behind this. That behind all these headlines are real people, and this writer did just that. And Wait, I why think don't we get it, them. To it's trying to, to the beam them up. Yeah, beam them up.
0: All right, I'm setting coordinates. Brittany De La Corretta. Please join us in the trance. Energize. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) People never know what to say. It's like (laughs) you've just had all your molecules disassembled and reassembled and put into a podcast. I expect I would say something like wah! (laughs) But (laughs) hi works. Hi is good. Let me let me correct myself just to make sure everyone understands. Brittany goes by they them. My Mm -hmm. pronouns are she hers. Carly, I'm a she hers too. And we want to show respect for your pronouns. Thank you for letting us know. And let me just give you the floor. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Brittany. And I'd love to share with the listeners, if you don't mind, this interesting story behind your name.
2: Oh, uh, sure. So I'm a freelance writer, a full-time freelancer, and I write mostly on issues of at the intersection of sports, gender, queerness and culture is kind of how I loosely talk about my work. Um, That's quite
0: an intersection, I'll tell
2: you. (laughs) Yeah, kind of just, well, that's how it works. Uh, So I don't know, I just think the fun sports stuff personally is what I write. Um, And my name, yeah, so I actually, when I got married to my now ex-husband, I had not planned on changing my name. And I joked with him one day that I would change my name if he changed his. And he called my bluff and said, okay, what do you want to change it to? And I was like, oh, I did not Damn. expect that to be the answer. So uh, we went with his mother's maiden name, which is Delacreda, Um, And it is spelled with three words, a lowercase D-E and a lowercase L-A and a capital C. But... Uh, it's originally a French Swiss name and in Switzerland, it is all one word, but my ex mother-in-law's father separated it into three words when he immigrated to America because he thought Americans would be able to pronounce it more easily. Uh, I can <laughs> confirm that they cannot.
0: <laughs> no one can very pronounce exotic. my name. <laughs> it's very exotic, has a Z on the end, even though you don't use the Z. The Z is silent as your Twitter profile says.
2: The Z is silent.
0: But it's it's a beautiful name. And uh, despite him being gone, I'm glad you're still here.
2: <laughs> me too.
0: <laughs> so tell us of what was the, uh, the process of writing your latest work, which you know, Carly and I were very glad to share with our OutSports readers and and to uh, and we'll put a link in the transporter room social media as well so people can see it.
2: Yeah, so uh, the piece was for Inside Hook, which is a men's culture website. And I want to give them credit because what happened was they wanted to do a piece about trans boys in sports because they cover men and boys, but didn't have, you know, anyone to write it and were familiar with my work and approached me. And what was really great is that they knew that they wanted to highlight trans boys that were competing in sports. But beyond that, they didn't know what the story was because it wasn't their expertise. And they let me and my reporting determine the angle that the story took. And I really, really appreciated that. As a freelancer, I work with all kinds of editors. um, And as you all know, uh, when it comes to coverage of trans folks, often it's dictated by cis people, cis writers, cis editors, um, and yep. they, under the like guise of, well, this has to be readable to our readers, the mainstream reader, which is always assumed to be cis. Um, and that did not happen here. They really let me center trans voices and trans perspectives in the piece, which was really important to me. Um, so not only do you hear from athletes who are either currently competing or or did compete at the high school level, um, trans masculine athletes, but also you hear all the expert voices in the story for context are also trans masculine. So I thought that was really important too—that not only are trans folks experts in their lived experience, but they also get to be experts in their whatever area they study, whatever they do, um, because we are everywhere and that felt really important. And I was really glad that Inside Hook let me do that. Uh, so that's actually how the story came about. And the idea behind it, honestly, it's something I've been thinking about for a while. My partner is transmasculine and he played sports growing up and they were really important to him. And when he transitioned, he lost that. And we have talked because I write about sports and I think about sports and I think about trans inclusion and exclusion and all of those things it's like a regular part of our conversation is, you know, what he thinks and how it impacted him on a just human level. And so I was really excited to get the opportunity to write about this. And for me, the really big themes, like, as I say in the piece, and as, you know, you mentioned Carly, trans women and girls are really hyper visible in the media coverage, both of uh, really
1: hyper demonized as well.
2: Yes, absolutely. but,
0: But, but very often there's
1: too much emphasis
0: so much so that I don't know if a lot of people know that trans men even exist.
2: It's there's two sides and, there's obvious impacts to that hyper visibility for trans feminine people, and what you know, in you know, increased rates of violence and and other things. And on the flip side of that is trans men and boys and trans masculine people who are often really invisibilized, and that can has its own impacts of isolation and you know not being able to see yourself and not even knowing that other people like you exist and. That is less often talked about both in general in the media, but also specifically about athletics. Um, Trans men are not only invisibilized, they're underestimated and just assumed to be non-threatening and therefore a non-issue. And so they're an afterthought in, in all of these conversations.
0: A lot of the TERFs often say, well, how come there aren't any controversies involving trans men? Well, you know, there are, in powerlifting, trans men cannot take testosterone and lift with other men because there's a ban on any kind of medication. But I, I, did, a, I did a piece for a local uh, magazine here in Connecticut, Connecticut Voice, and I interviewed five trans men. And what blew me away was their feeling of being erased because they're seen as cisgender men. Maybe shorter, maybe uh, you know, uh, not as tall uh, in some cases, but but very often just assumed to be presumed to be a, a cisgender man. It's like they lost their queerness, which you know is a really big transition on top of all the other transitions that transgender people experience. And on top of that, you have a growing number of people who choose to be trans non-binary, who don't want to embrace the binary at all, don't want to be seen as either trans masculine or trans feminine. So. I wish there was just more education. And that's what I'm really hopeful for is that people just open their eyes, take a chance to learn about other people and your writing is doing that.
2: You know, it's interesting because when I, when I interviewed uh, the people that I did, I asked, so a lot of them were the first openly trans person at their school. And most of them also did not have too many barriers. Some did. Uh, but all of the people that I talked to specifically were able to compete in at least one sport in the, the boys category so they at least you know had been able to participate um, in some way and I asked about if they thought their experience might have been different if it was with a trans girl if the school would have been so receptive. And almost all of them said, I don't know that it would have been because, you know, I was not seen as a threat. People just assumed I wasn't going to be able to compete and who cares. And I was able to move over because I wasn't threatening in the way that I might have been to them if it were the other way around which in itself, it's this like same system of like misogyny and sexism that somebody who is assigned female at birth can never be good enough at sports to compete with someone who's assigned male at birth. Or, and that is the belief that both is the reason that people think trans women and girls are gonna dominate girls sports and that trans boys and men are not gonna be able to compete in men's sports. It's this same idea.
1: Brittany, one thing that struck me about this article was you went deep into the hinterlands to talk to a lot of people. There were people from the Midwest, the Southwest, and both coast and the South. A lot of widespread of experiences. What were some of the things that struck you the most in doing this story?
2: Yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised by the geographic diversity that I got. Um, I was connected with people through Chris Mosier who is a source um, for the story. I'm sure listeners might be familiar with him but if not
0: he, now he's a friend of the podcast and he's, <laughs> he's been on he's been on with us and what a incredible incredible advocate.
2: yeah he doesn't so have he, to
0: do this you know he, doesn't he was have great
2: to. and was able to connect me with folks and the other thing is that um, skylar bylar who was the first uh, trans man to compete uh, in NCAA, Division one sports. Love him.
0: Love him. Um,
2: He posted a a call for sources to his Instagram and folks reached out to me. And so people came to me those ways. Uh, I was really, really pleasantly surprised by the geographic diversity. And I think that was surprising to me because, especially because what I specified was I was looking for folks who actually had gotten to compete in the division they wanted to compete in. Because often when we hear about trans people in sports, the reason that they're making the news is because, right? Like Mac Beggs is like the only high school trans boy that people can name if they can name anyone. And it's because he was forced to compete against girls. That's why people know his name and that's why the media caught on. So um, the people that reached out to me, it was a specific request. I wanted to talk to boys who had competed with boys because I wanted to know what, was important and affirming about that and like why that mattered to be able to compete um in that category and I kind of assumed that it would be the like just liberal states that we typically think of as having more trans-friendly policies would be where the students were coming from and that really was not the case I had plenty of of kids that I talked to that were from the midwest um actually really good midwestern representation in the story uh and i Uh, East coast, but I was really surprised by that. And what surprised me is one of the students that I talked to from Wichita, Kansas told me when I go to track meets almost every time I'm at a track meet, I am not the only trans athlete. We're out there. We're not making the news and we're not making a big deal about it. And our teammates know who we are and we know who we are. Like we are there. And he said, I feel like people assume there's not trans people and trans kids in the Midwest, but I see us all the time. I'm not the only one. And it's just that nobody ever talks about it.
1: That's one of the things that struck me being a transplanted Midwesterner was seeing so many Midwestern kids. And at one level, it's good that kids in the areas where I grew up now are getting this opportunity. It seems like people are moving forward, but how much different would it be if these kids are running at the front in talking to the kids, you talk to how much of that plays in their mind saying that this would go a lot different if I was winning, for example.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. And especially at the youth level, something I tried to stay away from in my story was I didn't want to get tied up in issues of hormones and biology and physiology. I think that that really dehumanizes uh, the the athletes and in this case, children, like who just want to play sports. So I didn't get too much into that, but I do think relevant to your question, as more kids have access to gender affirming care, we hope, um, they may be going on puberty blockers earlier and that may impact what, you know, what hormones they're on. But I think because of the age, you're like right around that pubescent age when they're competing against cisgender boys who are going through like a masculinizing puberty. It's hard to like know at what point that equals out. I think we will know more um, what that looks like as kids have more access to these things. I do know one of of the sources in the story that I, I use the name Ezra and he was from Maryland. He was the top runner on the girls team and then switched to the boys team and started testosterone which um at 16 not all um kids under 18 will have you know any surgeries or start hormones and he was able to and so his case was a little bit different than some of the other boys that I talked to and I did ask about the competition level um and he was not at the top but he also was not at the back like hmm. he was right in the middle of the pack um one of the kids threw shot put, and he Was not on any hormones uh, at all. He was five foot four competing against cisgender men, and he was in the middle of the pack. He was not losing. He was not the worst one. They were competing. And I think that, and that's even without, you know, people, the science on testosterone is shoddy, but that's the thing everyone seems to think gives an athletic advantage. So even without that, they were still, some of these kids were still able to compete with the cisgender boys. I think Mm -hmm. it's a good question. How would, it feel if they were winning, uh, and I don't know. I don't know that it would have the same impact that and like visceral reaction that we see when when and if trans girls are winning because trans boys don't experience trans misogyny in the same way um, the trans girls do. It's an and misogyny at the
0: misogyny is at the root of all of this nonsense. All of it and. It, and it is very interesting to me because um, Carly and I were able to attend a uh, sort of a mini news conference with Mac Beggs and a few other trans athletes, including Andrea Yearwood and Terry Miller. Uh, uh, there was a, a film that they made called Changing the Game. And yeah. Mac, it's wonderful. Mac confessed that sometimes he didn't even take his regular testosterone shots just because he didn't want there to even be any, you know, claim that, oh, well, Mac only won because he was on testosterone. It doesn't. It's not like a steroid or a super masculizing drug. Yes, it provides secondary sex characteristics, but it isn't like he becomes the Hulk or something, you know? Training, exercise, mm-hmm. w- hard work. That's what helps that shot putter and helps the runner. And I think that um, the trans boys are even a better example of what we've been saying at Outsports for a long time. Trans athletes don't always win.
2: Mm-hmm. Most don't. don't most cis athletes either. don't win. Like most right. athletes lose, and like at the top, there's like one percent of athletes are ever going to be elite, and that's like right. cis, even of cisgender people, and the and ones that are the elite athletes, they have all of these advantages, whether it's height or strength or whatever it is that allows them to succeed in the way that they do,
1: mm-hmm. um, and
2: nobody, you know, is is trying to. To say that they shouldn't be allowed to compete as a result of that. Instead, it's celebrated at look at what this person's body can do.
0: Thank you for teeing me up because I was about to use the word and you used it. Advantages. Advantages all, that's what sports is all about. We want the advantage. We want to do whatever we can to get the advantage. That's why the Houston Astros got in so much trouble because they were seeking an advantage by cheating with garbage cans. Mac Beggs didn't have an advantage other than his incredible drive and physique. What about Michael Phelps? Should we stop Michael Phelps from swimming against other, not that he swims anymore, but it would have been fair to put him in a separate category just because he has incredible wingspan? Or Usain Bolt or Elena Deladon? These are people who have God-given or natural talents, whatever form you want to use, and I think trans athletes are just the same. I do understand, as a parent myself, I don't want my kids to lose. I don't want my kids to not feel like a winner, but... My job as a parent is to explain to them that life isn't fair, that you do the best you can. Did you do better than you did last time? That's what matters. Not who came in first or second. Coaches will tell you they don't look at who places first, second, or third. They look at personal best. And parents just don't get that.
2: Well, and I think and this is something I, I talked about in my story, because this is the other piece that I think really, really gets lost when we talk about trans athletes. Is It's so focused on competition and advantages and physiology that we're ignoring that fact that most pe- most kids are not going to be elite and get college scholarships, whether they're trans or cis and that most kids are not playing sports to be like elite champions. They're playing sports for all of the other reasons that sports is beneficial. They wanna play with their friends. They wanna have extracurriculars on their resume for college. They like being a teammate. They think it's fun. Like whatever it is, there are so many other reasons that kids play sports. And when we talk about trans athletes, all of those things are often ignored. And people are arguing that they should be denied these formative experiences that so many other kids get to have.
1: When we come back, because we're hearing that sound, you know what that means. we got bills to pay like everybody else. But when we get back here on the transporter room, we're going to talk about the debate. We'll be back. Transporter room.
2: Stick with us.
0: Back in the Transporter Room, our guest is Brittany De La Creta. Carly Webb and I are here to tell you a story that Carly did just this last week, an interview with a trans boy who changed the way the soccer league he wants to play in looks at transgender athletes. Carly, please tell Brittany this amazing story and the fact that you got to interview Bobby
1: right after his surgery and his name change, which was great. And Bobby Jones is a is a 13-year-old boy in Kirkwood, Washington. He is a soccer goalie for his local team, Titans FC. And this kid has some big-time ambitions. I was asking him, you're a goalie. You can stop anyone in world soccer. You get one shot at him. Who would you want? He picked Cristiano Ronaldo. Why? Because he said, quote, He's the best in the world this kid idolizes manuel neuer who's considered by some the best goalie to ever play the game and that's some high praise he's the he's the current man he's the current man in goal not only for bayern munich but also he's germany national team's goalie he's the person that he's the last line of defense for the Mannschaft. and this kid went through a lot just to fight for his right to play and we have we talked about we've covered that story back in November, but there was more to that story. This kid's entire initial journey played out through the summer of last year all the way to now. I mean, he got to, I mean, he talked about, he talked about having top surgery, he talked about the name change, and one of the most common things that came out, and it also came out in your story is, I want to go out there and play as myself. I just want to feel right. And that was something that someone said in your story as well. How much did that strike you hearing that as you were doing this piece?
2: I think that perspective is so important and it's why it's so important to hear from the kids. And the person that said that to me, um, his name is Ezra in the story. I you know I mentioned him earlier, but he really felt like he lost his best friends when he switched teams. And that tells you how important it was for him to be able to compete with boys and to compete as himself, that he was willing to give up the community and the friends and the camaraderie that he had built on the girls' team. because, And he was the top-seeded runner and could have very likely gotten college scholarships had he stayed on the girls' team. And he was willing and and needed to switch teams um, because it mattered that much to his sense of self and who he was. And to me, that says everything. Like we talk about advantages, he was willing to give up his advantage to be his authentic self. And that to me says everything about that These this is so important. And when kids are telling you who they are, you should believe them because it's just, you're setting them up for so much unnecessary torment and that that doesn't need to happen, Um, but that he knew who he was and he was willing to say, okay, I will forego the potential for a, a track scholarship to college because I need to be who I am. It matters.
1: With that in mind, what's your thoughts on the debate that you're seeing right now?
2: The debate that I'm seeing, I assume you mean around like trans folks and particularly trans kids' ability to participate in sports and the attack in state courts? Yes.
0: Now, the people who think that, you know, we just want it to be a level playing field, we just want fairness for women and girls. <sighs> the but argument against.
2: A- problem that does not exist. In half the states where these bills are being brought, there's not a single trans girl competing at the high school level. So who, where, like, and I think that when we, like, I I get real mad about it. I mean, trans women have been able to compete in the Olympics on some level for over a decade, almost 20 years. Where is the the trans women takeover of women's sports? Like I'm waiting for it. When does it happen? Next week? Like when, right. they, when they've been able the...
0: to, but not one has even qualified the Olympics in all, all these years.
2: Right. And the this only might be, trans person this might be different. openly trans person that has, you know, had qualified the first one was was a, a trans man, Chris Mosier. So we're still like s-
0: qualify, just to for the Olympic you. trials. He qualified for the trials, but it wasn't able to complete.
2: Right, but he did qualify right. for the trial. So that's yes. like, it wasn't even <laughs> a trans woman who was the first one to, to right. qualify on that level. And this so... might be a different
0: year. I think we're going to see a trans athlete if there is an Olympics, but but here's the thing. It's a solution in of a problem. There, there aren't trans athletes in almost all these states and maybe it's because they're afraid of coming out. But until there's a problem, why would they want to change rules like the NCAA and the IOC? Let's just allow people to, compete and if there's a problem I'd be the first one if trans athletes won every single contest they ever entered I'd be the first one to say well it's obviously not fair but it's not that's not
2: how it is it's not like you mentioned the Connecticut case earlier um that you know three the families of three cis girls sued because they said they were never going to beat these two trans girls and not only did they beat them it's the cis girls with the college scholarships so it's just it's not the evidence does not back up and my hope is that's why we're seeing so many of these bills fall apart and fail is because they are built on uh, like shaky ground there's literally they're they're built on hateful points of view that cannot be backed up and as soon as you offer the actual evidence about trans kids and trans people in sports it just doesn't back up Any of this. I hope that's why we keep seeing these things fail.
0: Maybe. I don't know. I'll give you another one World Rugby. We made a major push at Outsports against the World Rugby ban. All the science that World Rugby touts is based on men versus women or average trans women versus female athletes. And you can't compare apples and oranges. My biggest criticism of their ban is that they didn't hear from a single trans rugby player who is a woman or study any elite trans women rugby players at all part of that is because there aren't any elite trans rugby players who are women but you can't ban something that you haven't actually investigated i don't get the science if there is science that said well every single trans woman who's an elite athlete is far superior to cisgender now that does that science doesn't exist no one's put the research in Uh, Joanna Harper is working on research. It does a lot of other studies that are, are trying to get there, but until it actually comes forward, why would you discriminate?
2: Yeah. And I mean, all of these things, all of these bills, all of these policies are really about excluding trans women and girls. And, you know, to bring it back to my story, one thing that I bring up is that the bills are, you know, very intentionally, designed to exclude trans women and girls, but because they are targeting trans people and looking at like assigned sex at birth and birth certificates and things that automatically means that trans boys are going to be impacted, but because we don't even know how they're going to be impacted because they're an afterthought because they weren't the intended, they like are getting swept up in this too. Um, they are not the intended target, but they are impacted by it. And it stands to even be seen what that could look like because people that are making these bills are, they're not knowledgeable, they're not educated, and they're so intent on just excluding trans women and girls and height laser focused that none of the policies even make sense. And we can't possibly know how wide ranging the exclusion could be should they pass.
1: What got you interested in sports and into sports journalism?
2: I was an athlete growing up. I did gymnastics, ballet, and then I was a competitive cheerleader uh, up until I graduated high school. Uh, And my dad ran a tennis academy and uh, played baseball at a pretty serious level and played golf on his days off. So I was just surrounded by sports. And I grew up loving baseball because it was the only thing my dad and I could talk about without disagreeing. So, although we actually had different rooting interests, he was a Yankees fan. Um.
1: Boo. <laughs> oh,
0: I'm so sorry. You had to grow up in that household. Well,
2: oh. so I'm from South Florida, and we did not have a team until nineteen ninety three. So by Otherwise then, known as the
0: sixth borough of New York.
2: <laughs> so my dad grew up a Yankees fan because they were the best team when he was a kid. And my mom's dad is from Boston and taught me to yell Yankees suck at my dad. And <laughs> I was a kid and he would get mad and I thought it was funny. And so we ended up at Yankees Red Sox house. Oh my um, God. I'm actually now more of a Marlins fan than I okay. was. I was I was, you know, um like ten by the time they started, so I already had rooting interests. But so I grew up just with sports, and I love sports. And um, when I started writing, I used to be a social worker actually, and I got pushed out of my job on maternity leave with my first kid. And I'd always blogged for fun, but didn't consider it a career. And I needed to make money from home while I had an infant, and so I—I I don't know. I kind of elbowed my way in writing personal essays that became reported essays that became reporting. And I kept saying that to my, you know, now ex-husband, like, I want to write about sports, but I don't think I can. Like, I don't see anything like I would want to write. And I don't even want to read half the things that are being written. And I feel like there's no place for my voice. And he was like, are you saying that you can't write about sports because you're not a guy like that's basically what you're saying and i was like oh my god that's what i'm saying what would, I, what would i tell my daughters if they said like i can't do this thing because i'm a girl and so that was it i was like okay i'm gonna pitch sports stories and i started writing about baseball um and that has broadened and i write actually mostly about women's sports and the WNBA now and um queer stuff and trans stuff and sports Um, because those are the things I want to read. And that's kind of how I think about my work, that I'm writing the things I want to be reading and don't see many other people writing.
0: I hope you check out swishappeal.com, which is our sister site that handles the WNBA. Who's your WNBA team?
2: The Sun. I'm in Boston, so...
0: Yes, I love The Sun. I love Kurt Miller. I've been to a couple of games, and it's awesome. And also, as a Mets fan... I root for any team that beats the Yankees, and I love the Red Sox, except when they play my Mets.
1: <laughs> I'm surrounded by East Coast baseball fans. Uh yeah, no, I'm,
2: I know. Well, I'm a Marlins fan, though. There's like, there's like that's 12 still East of Coast, us, but. And... But
0: Carly's, a, Carly's, I'm,
1: a, a, I'm a, fan. a Kansas City Royals fan.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, whatever. So, yeah. Whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let me. 2015, Don. 2015. <laughs> All right. All right. You had a
0: second question for Brittany. Let's follow Actually, up. Actually,
1: I do. Actually, looking at this story, did any of the sources that you talked to, did they talk about the controversy or the debate? Did they touch on it? Did they say anything about it? If so, what was the consensus?
2: Yeah, they did. Especially one of my sources was a uh, student in st louis missouri who had actually testified against the missouri bills he had gone out of school his parents had taken him and he testified on multiple occasions um against the bills that that were targeting uh trans athletes and trans youth in missouri so it was very much on their radar to the point that 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 child was stealth in his school. His parents did not disclose to administrators, to coaches, to anyone, um, that their child was trans because of the fear of these bills that were coming down and they, they just don't know. And so, you know, that's their way of trying to protect their son, um, from facing any more discrimination, you know, than he might. Um, but, A lot of the kids were really, they were frustrated by it and it scared them and it confused them and they were like, I'm a kid, like I'm not a threat and I feel like I'm seen as a threat. Um, One of the kids also, um, his name is Aaron and he was the one from Wichita, Kansas, and he played track, but track was not in, in, through shot putt, that was not his initial sport. He played basketball Mm. and that was the sport he loved, basketball and tennis And he asked to switch to the boys' team when he socially transitioned. And the coach said, trans people have an advantage in sports and so it's not appropriate. And he's (sighs) like, I'm five foot four. I'm not on any masculinizing (laughs) hormones. I'm asking to compete against cis boys who have gone through masculinizing puberty. Like, where is the advantage that I have? I am going to come up, right? right? Like, but just that they didn't, so ill-informed that he ended up not being able to play the sport that he loved the most tennis. He also, he was allowed to play. um, But they said he had to wear the uniform. um, So he would have still had to wear a skirt. And so he chose not to. And it was the track coach who approached him and said, I know that you want to play and I know this isn't your sport, but I think there's a place for you here on the boys team. If you'd like to join it. And so, That was because a coach. coach reached out to him uh, and said so, you know, but he's like sitting there looking at the basketball coach who's telling, you know, him, he's got an, ad- he's got an advantage on the boys team. And he's like, what threat am I? I'm not a threat at all. I have no advantage on this team. I'm going to be the shortest one by seven right. inches.
0: The only, the, the only one who has actual periods uh, <laughs> in, a, in a basketball game. So let me ask you a question. That's a two-parter. I wanna hear the story of how you decided that um, your identity is queer and you chose your pronouns. But first, I wanna point out to everyone who's wondering about you know, writers like us. It's so rare that a outlet reaches out to you and pitches, hey, we'd like you to write this. And then to have two of the most famous trans people out there put out feelers for you to gather your contacts you are a lucky person. (laughs) Let me just say that.
2: I am really grateful that, well, so the reason they reached out to me, and this is, again, I think it's all about connections and building Mm -hmm. connections. Yep. Um, The editor that was working at Inside Hook had been my editor when he was at Rolling Stone. He was the sports editor. He was one of the first, editors to actually give me a shot writing sports content you are known Um, quantity and so he knew them
0: he knew them would be the person that they wanted
2: yeah and I also think you know this there's very few people writing about trans athletes and there's even fewer trans people writing about trans athletes and then that you can hire on a freelance basis it's like me and like Sydney Bowers doing some stuff Katie Barnes is great but they're employed you know by ESPN um and Caitlin Burns is is freelance but there's so few of us out there um and I think I'm lucky that I already had some some connections uh which landed me this story and as for Chris and Skylar being great I also think that in community like it matters a whole lot and trans folks want to help other trans folks out and it's you know uh Mm -hmm. they appreciate when community is telling the story and reaching out and so i think that there's a lot of just support in community for that Sarah
0: sarah mcbride told me the same thing it's different when you're talking to someone who comes from your experience rather than a cisgender person or someone who is not lgbtq who asked the questions because we get it, you know? So just before uh, we begin the end, we're starting to wrap up. I would like to understand how you went from being a mom with a kid, married to a guy, to being a queer person, dating trans, masculine people.
2: Uh, Well, I've been openly queer for, since I was 21. Um, I met my husband when I was in my mid twenties and Uh, not sober. I got sober. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. Um, You know, I've been sober. Oh my gosh, nine years now. But I think, I don't think my experience is that unique. I mean, I knew I was queer. That's not a surprise. My husband knew I was queer. In fact, he was the one, and, and queer people can be attracted to cis men. And I thought I was, I learned I was not. But you know, um, there's so it's it's absolutely possible for me to have you know been a queer person married to a cis man. It was my husband actually that predicted years before I finally left that I, I was gonna leave. Um,
0: <laughs> Same with bisexuals. You don't, you don't you can date someone who's cis or straight or whatever. It doesn't change the the other person's uh, orientation or identity.
2: Yeah, but I'm but glad I that think, you
0: found yours.
2: I think. What I would say, though, is I don't think my experience is that unique in that when we grow up and we don't see queerness and we don't see ourselves represented, like for me, I knew I'm attracted to masculine people and I always have been, but you don't see queer masculinity like on screen, you know, like so I actually it wasn't until I was a little bit older and I went into like queer spaces that had a lot more like trans and non-binary people in them um, as opposed to just. Uh, women's spaces I it was like the first time I saw like queer masculinity something inside me like rearranged itself and I was like oh right but I didn't know that we don't, don't see people who look like us and like the people that we're attracted to in the movies and the television and the magazines. And so it's not until for a lot of us, it's not until we're older and we are exposed to the like expansiveness of gender and what it can look like that. And that's me coming into my own trans non-binary identity too in my mid thirties, because again, I just didn't have the language and I didn't have the exposure. To and now I'm like, oh, that all makes a whole lot of sense. All that other stuff (laughs) makes sense, right? But I I don't think it's unique um, in that I just have the exposure.
1: Wonderful. Brittany, again, an excellent story that you did here. But I know that Tales Around the Campfire is saying that you have a future story where you're looking at the future of sport beyond the binary. How is that coming and what are you learning?
2: I'm really excited about that story. I don't want to say too much. Um, no spoilers. Can you Just tell of us the basics?
0: We'll, can you tell us what outlet we'll read it in?
2: Um, I can tell you you will read it in April. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's what I will tell you. I'm very excited about it. But it's been a really How
0: exciting cool story. And you have a book coming out later this year, don't you?
2: I do in November. Woo! If, yeah, I don't know. I'm really excited. <laughs> I, I wrote it with Lindsay D'Arcangelo, uh, who's another um, sports writer
1: can you give us a little bit of details about that i have i've i've done a little poking around on that that's a book i'm interested to read because that's something when i was a little kid that's something i saw
2: oh that's really cool so it is called hail mary the rise and fall of the national women's football league it is about the national women's football league which was the first professional women's football league in the u.s It existed uh, in the 1970s and 80s, but its heyday was in the late 1970s. And the book tells the story of this league. We spoke to many of the athletes and we not only tell the story of the league, but we put it in historical context against women's liberation movement, Title IX and queer liberation post Stonewall. Oh, wow. I'm looking Um,
1: forward to that book.
0: you, You will definitely make sure you tell us about it prior to its release in November so we can tell the readers of Outsports all about it. Maybe Absolutely. do an excerpt or
1: something. All right. And, not only ha- and also, we want to have you back. Absolutely. We You're, definitely want to have you pass. back.
2: You got it. Thank I you talk Brittany. about that for a long time.
0: <laughs> what a pleasure it's been to have you in the transporter room. I'm setting coordinates for Boston, sending you back, and we'll have you back again.
1: Thank you, Brittany. Don, that was an excellent interview. They were great. If you haven't Absolutely. read the story, go to Inside Hook and read it. This we'll put, the, we'll a, put a, it in
0: our uh, social media.
1: Exactly. It'll give Twitter you a very Facebook. different view of everything beyond the debate.
0: Now, what have you been binging? Because I'm still, did I tell you I'm re Fringe from the 90s, uh, from the 2000s, early 2000s? i am on season three and i love fringe and then last night i introduced my youngest son to farscape we watched episode wow. one.
1: i'll tell you when. What, what i'm looking to binge is honestly i'm there's something i will probably be starting binging because in a sense in a way of mourning because oh. i'm going to be i'm going to be binging babylon 5 again oh interesting. because i'm going to be binging that again because last week we lost one of the central characters of that show. Who died? And we lost Mira Furlan died last week. Oh, I didn't played, know that. She played Delenn.
0: Yeah, Dolan. And oh, in I mean, in a, in Babylon
1: Five, and there was a lot of testimonials all over Twitter. She had been in ill health for some time.
0: Okay, and well, well, put died the January twentieth. twentieth. Oh wow day of the inauguration i'll tell you what i'll same day as my my beloved wife um i oh. will put a a little uh, a obituary there in our social media comment the cable channel uh has been replaying all of the babylon uh seasons and uh you know a lot of them were a very good episodes some of them were eh, less than but uh i love delen what a great character and uh i'm sorry to see that actress uh, pass away I'm
1: a, i mean i was a big fan of that show Especially mm-hmm. in the 90s. It was that and Zena. Forget that other show with that other Warrior guy. Warrior Princess. <laughs> yeah. but Warrior
0: Princess.
1: That and last week I rewatched all of Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. You told me about that. I, re- I re-watched it again. To me, that was one of the best shows of 2020. I needed that just to get my... I mean, you know, just to show... Mm-hmm. Just to give me some positive, you know, positive motion forward. Sure. With all the things that are happening and, you know, all the fights that have been fought, especially in this last week it's making me feel good it's a giving me a warm feeling to know that our people are organizing that good people trans people and allies are out there pushing and organizing and i think there's a new spirit right now that people are saying you know what we survived these this this hard time of these last four years and we may be a little bruised, but we're but we're never going to bow, and we're going to push forward and make the change happen. We're going to roll the tide of negativity back, and with what you're seeing in the last couple of days, it gives me a lot of hope, Don.
0: Be the change you want to see, see in, in the world, world, Carly.
1: Oh man!
0: All right, this is great. Next week, I'm going to have some news about Star Trek: Discovery season four. Season four is being filmed right now in Toronto and I've got an exclusive about Ian Alexander, who plays Gray, and his transgender identity of his character. That's an exclusive next week on the Transporter
1: Room. Make sure you join us. Carly, steady as she goes. Live long, prosper, and keep fighting.